One of my favorite novels is The Remains of the Day by Kazuo Ishiguro. It's narrated by a man named Stevens, who during the 1930s had served as the butler of Darlington Hall, a fictional stately home of England. As you read the book, you begin to realize that history as Stevens remembers it is not quite the same as history as it happened. Stephen, Stevens tells stories, and especially his roles in them, as he would have liked them to happen, rather than as they actually did. His unreliable narration becomes a window through which the reader sees his regrets and his desire to have believed and behaved better earlier in his life. When last week I read today's first lesson in which the leaders of the tribes of Israel say to Joshua, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, Stevens came to mind. Did Israel really believe that they would be faithful to the Lord? Or were they just saying that to please Joshua? Or was it an aspirational commitment, one that they, like Stevens, would like to be true, despite their unreliability? A few verses later, Joshua breaks it to them, saying, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. Joshua goes on to tell the people that the Lord is a jealous God, who will not forgive their transgressions or their sins which, of course, the Lord does do. But it's not because his people eventually got their act together and stopped sinning. Stevens came to mind also when I read Jesus' parable of the ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom in today's gospel lesson. The bridegroom is delayed, and those waiting for him become drowsy and fall asleep. After telling the parable, Jesus says, Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. To which my first reaction is, Okay, I'll try. But like the people in the parable, I need my sleep. I'm not going to be able to keep that up very long. When it comes to ceaseless vigilance, I am not reliable. Who then is fit to be one of God's people? Who is fit for the kingdom of heaven? Who is fit to be numbered among the saints of, her, of whom we heard last week? On our own merits, none of us is. Apart from the righteousness of God that we receive by faith in Jesus Christ, we are utterly unfit to be God's people, unfit for the kingdom of heaven, and very far from sainthood. Only the grace of God, the forgiveness of our sins that we receive in holy baptism and holy communion, makes us worthy to be called God's people, citizens of his kingdom, and even saints. The church is a communion of redeemed sinners, of unreliable saints. The God who redeems us, who makes us saints, he is the one who is reliable, not us. 
Pastors like to tell a joke in which someone tells them for the 10,000th time that they don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Oh no, replies the pastor, we're not full. We have just enough room for you. It's a mystery why God would want unreliable folks like us in his kingdom. But we can rejoice that he does. And it's important to say from one redeemed saint and unreliable, one redeemed sinner and unreliable saint to another, that while we need to be aware of our fallibility, we should not allow it to paralyze us for fear of it. To do so is sloth, and that's a sin. When in a 1521 letter to his friend Philip Melanchthon, Martin Luther wrote, sin boldly or sin strongly, Luther was not encouraging Christians to sin, but to strive to be faithful, generous, and helpful without being paralyzed by the fear that we will do those things imperfectly and that we will sin in the process. In his letter, Luther goes on to say, But let your trust in Christ be stronger yet, and rejoice in Christ, who is the victor over sin, death, and the world. In other words, strive because in Christ God has made you a saint. Don't strive to become a saint because you cannot make yourself one. And don't let being a sinner stop you from doing your best. Serving your neighbor is not going to purge your guilt. It's not going to save you from death. It's not going to justify your existence. But it is going to help your neighbor. And because God loves your neighbor to the extent that he died for him, your neighbor's well-being is something worth striving for. Never doubt that you can make a big positive difference in the lives of those around you. A lifestyle of faithfulness and generosity even lived by unreliable people like us, is a great way to await the coming of the Lord, the bridegroom of the church. Only he can justify us and fit us for the banquet hall, but there certainly are better and worse ways of waiting. And seeking out and applying ourselves to the better ones is well worth doing. For that, it's good to be part of the communion of saints, the fellowship of the faithful, who teach us of God's grace to unreliable saints like ourselves, and how to live faithfully despite our unreliability and our natural rebellion against God. In the communion of saints, we provoke one another to love and good deeds. We encourage one another not to let our fallibility drive us to despair, but as an alternative to kicking ourselves for our many faults and failings, to look instead to Christ, who has made us saints that we might walk in newness of life. The communion of saints gives us the neighbors that we need the love of whom God intends to be our way of life. The joy and compassion that characterizes the communion of saints, even in its checkered, unreliable manifestations, like right here at Messiah, 
is a warm hearth that draws others in from the cold and where we can receive and reflect on God's word, a beacon that points to and gives us Christ. The communion of saints is held together and leavened by the Holy Spirit who binds us to Christ in baptism and brings us together to feed on Christ in the Lord's Supper. In the communion of saints, we bind up one another's wounds, we bear one another's burdens, we comfort one another in times of loss. The communion of saints is where we learn to live hopefully and joyfully in the face of evil, even evil within ourselves. The communion of saints is where we learn that God's love for us gives us dignity despite our unreliability and where we learn to cherish one another and our own lives despite those faults. And so to all of you world-weary, unreliable narrators gnawed by regret, fearful of inflicting yourself on the world, nervous about taking up space and your carbon footprint, and unwilling to make commitments for fear of possibly breaking them. Welcome to God's communion of unreliable saints. To you cynics looking in or around at the hypocrites, the unreliably faithful people infesting God's church, there's always room for one more. Welcome to the communion of saints. To you lone rangers who from fear, shame, or disdain shun the fellowship of sinners, welcome to the communion of saints. To you carrying heavy burdens and balancing many responsibilities, overwhelmed by sorrow or confusion or obligations, welcome to the communion of saints. To you who are plagued by the temptations of false gods that you once served and wondering if you really belong here in God's presence, welcome to his communion of saints. Thanks be to God for forming from unruly, unworthy, and unreliable sinners a holy communion of saints, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. It is good for us to be here, to be together, to be in communion with one another and with our compassionate, compelling, and constant God.